Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 41 of the Lawyerist Podcast, where we talk with Josh Campson about what he's learned about running a law practice since he wrote his Shingle Life column on Lawyerist a few years ago. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes or using your favorite podcast app, or check in every week to listen to it at lawyerist.com slash podcast. If you enjoy our show, we would really appreciate it if you took a few seconds to give us a rating in iTunes. Also, take a minute to check out our practical and easy-to-use lawyering survival guides at lawyerist.com slash guides, or click on guides at the top of the site. You can use the coupon code PODCAST to get a 50% discount on your order. Just enter the word PODCAST into the checkout form. Today's podcast is sponsored by Lawyers with Purpose. If you are an attorney looking to make this your best year yet, download the Revenue Focuser workbook for free at lawyerswithpurpose.com. So Aaron, I just got back from the Clio Cloud Conference, and at the conference, one of the buzzwords was net promoter score. And I actually think this is something lawyers ought to know about, um, so I kind of wanted to introduce the concept, um, and I've got a post coming up where I'm going to walk through how to do it, but I think it's probably worth having a conversation about it. I love new buzzwords. <laughs> well, in in fact, it's not all that new. Um, I think it was introduced in 2003 uh, in an article in the Harvard Business Review, uh, and the idea is that, well, there's a couple of things um, around it, but um, the basic idea is that these customer satisfaction surveys that we do are ridiculous and long and don't actually give us good information. Uh, and it turns out that you only need to ask one question in order to get um, almost all of the information that you need to figure out which of your clients are going to be the ones that help you grow your company and which ones um, and how well you're doing at that. So you're not talking about the car dealership survey where they tell you as you get it, you have to give us a 10, otherwise we fail? Well, it's interesting. This is not that survey? It's interesting because that's that's mentioned in uh, the, the original article about Net Promoter Score about how easy it is to game surveys. And car dealerships are specifically mentioned um, as, you know, trading for better things because uh, lots of car companies were basing promotions and things off of your performance on those surveys. And so this was is a much less gameable system uh, and it's much easier to detect gaming. So... Yeah, my problem with all those one-question surveys is, like, you say the only good score is a 10, and therefore you are actually encouraging people to give you no information. Right. So maybe I should explain how this works. So Please. Net Promoter Score is a 0 to 10 scale, and all you're asking people to do is say, on a scale of 0 to 10, how likely are you to refer us to someone else? Um, it might say family and friends or whatever, but... Um, but so you're asking for their level of enthusiasm for you as a company, basically. And you don't count sevens and eights. Uh, and zero to six is a negative. So it's a negative 100. And, and so what you do is you take the percentage of people who give you a nine or a 10 and the percentage of people who give you a zero or a six. Um, the nines and tens are promoters. The zero to sixes are detractors. And you subtract the promoters or you subtract the detractors from the promoters. 
that sounded a little more complicated than it actually is. <laughs> I believe the you. percentage of nines and tens minus the percentage of zeros to sixes. Okay. And that's your net promoter score. So it can be negative 100 to positive 100. Okay. And so if it's positive number, that means you have more people are trying to promote your company than aren't or are actually saying bad things about your company. And, and so in the this idea case, is we're talking about law firms. Exactly. And so if you have a positive score, it should mean that you're getting more referrals than not. And so your firm ought to be growing. Um, and how positive should it be? Well, companies like Amazon have like 70s and 80s. Um, it turns out LegalZoom uh, has a 65% net promoter score across the board. Most law firms are hovering around 4 or 5%, which is positive, but is probably not going to work out to much growth. And so are there tips then on how to improve your score? Yeah. And what, one of the things that, that came out in, uh, in all of the discussion uh, about this was that um, there's so much uh, discussion about delighting your clients. Um, you know, how can you make them really thrilled with what you do? And it turns out that once you've met your clients' expectations, there is almost no benefit to delighting them. Um, which doesn't mean you shouldn't do it, but it isn't going to boost them up into a 9 or a 10 on loyalty, which means they are not likely to become referral sources. If you want them to be referral sources, then delighting them is not the way to go about it. Um, the way to go about it is apparently to remove obstacles and make the experience as smooth and effortless for them as possible. <laughs> and I think that's interesting because working with a lawyer is far from effortless but LegalZoom, for example, has mostly managed it. Um, it's doing quite well at making it effortless. And I think lawyers are not particularly good at catering to our clients. Mm -hmm. We demand that our clients visit us in our office. Um, we mostly demand that they meet us during business hours, which also are their business hours. Um, we, Many lawyers aren't particularly good at doing things um, remotely or over email or over the internet. Um, when we probably could do better at that. And so, you know, if you have a negative score, it means you aren't meeting your client's expectations. It means you're, and it, it may very well mean that you're at risk of ethics violations because they are actually disappointed in you, at, by and large. But if you have a positive score and you want it to get higher, then you need to take a good hard look at what sorts of things could you do to actually remove obstacles to the attorney-client relationship. And So how does, a, how does a small law firm figure out their score then? Uh, simple. Um, and actually, there's a really easy template on SurveyMonkey. Um, so you can start a free account on SurveyMonkey and grab their net promoter score template. And what you would want to do is just email it out to all your clients. And I think you'd want to do this. If you have ongoing clients, you'll want to send it to them periodically. Um, you know, you may not get results if you send it out every week or every month, but maybe you could send it out twice a year. Um, you probably don't want to send it out after the representation is ended because then you can't boost that particular client to a 9 or a 10. You don't have any opportunity to change that. Um, and you want people to leave with a good positive. You want them to leave as promoters. Um, but yeah, so I would just set up an email um, and hopefully automate the system to shoot out an email and say, please give us uh, a rating of 0 to 10. And if you use something like SurveyMonkey, all they have to do is just click a number and they're done, uh, which is super easy. And um, that you'll get most of the people will respond to it, I think. Uh, so that's all you really need to do. So it's 
It's the kind of thing that is really simple to do. So I think lawyers, there doesn't seem to be a downside to doing this to me. Find out what your clients think about you and how many of them are are your promoters and likely referral sources. Yeah, it seems like the kind of thing anyone could just experiment with over a weekend or something. Yeah, and there's, there is some discussion about whether or not net promoter score is really better than a client satisfaction survey. But assuming it is equally accurate to a client satisfaction survey, why would you send out an onerous 30-question client satisfaction survey when you can say, here, click a number? Yeah. Cool. So do you, so will this post be out soon enough that we could maybe ask for people to let us know their experiences or their scores? Yeah, I think I think it'll be out within days of this podcast, I think. And uh, and I'd love to get some feedback on people, especially those who are, you know, actually seeing double digit positive numbers of net promoter scores. It'd be really interesting to know what they're doing to get those kinds of scores. And I hope people will be willing to share uh, in the comments to my post or in the lab. Um, just post a thread and and let's talk about how to get your net promoter score up. Um, so long as what you're doing to get that score is not saying, give us a 10 or we fail. Yeah, and <laughs> you can't do that. And, and, you know, let's be clear, your net promoter score doesn't have anything to do with how effective you are as a lawyer, right? There, there are conceivably, there are bad lawyers who are really good at client service, um, but there are also good lawyers who are really bad at client service. And we want those good lawyers who are bad at client service to pay attention to client service so that they can they can deliver those that good service to more people. Um, so this doesn't it's not necessarily connected to your effectiveness as a lawyer. It's also an internal thing though. It's not like it goes up on Avo and the higher your net promoter score is, the more clients you get. This it has nothing to do with with whether or not you're going to get more clients. It's just a measurement of how effective you are at satisfying the ones you do have. Cool. So with that out of the way, here is my conversation with Josh. Hi, I'm Josh Campson. I'm a criminal defense attorney outside of Pittsburgh, PA in Washington, PA. I've been a lawyerist contributor since 2009. I wrote about starting my own law firm on the shingle life on lawyerist for a time. And that was a few years ago. We just celebrated our third year anniversary at Camps and Rigby, and Sam asked me to come on and chat about it. Yeah, so welcome back, Josh. I, I think it's been a little while since you wrote for us, but um, uh, it's great to have you on the air. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's exciting. You know, I can't believe I'm going to be on the same podcast that Alan Dershowitz was on. That is crazy <laughs> to me. This will probably get a lot less downloads, though. Well, we'll see. Um, so you can go back and listen to Josh's uh, or read Josh's posts. Uh, we called the column "The Shingle Life," which I still think is pretty darn clever. And uh, they are at lawyerist.com/slash/the. Th- Shingle life, all one word. Lawyers.com slash the shingle life. Um, but today we kind of wanted to do a little retrospective here because Josh, you're three years in now. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, they say three years means that you won't necessarily go out of business tomorrow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think I heard when I started my practice way back when that only about 10% of firms or companies, small companies anyway, make it uh, five years. So that was kind of my milestone was when I hit five. So. Okay, so three years is nothing. Well, I'll, I still uh, think three years is a good gut check. That's when I that's I felt like that was when it, my turning point. So, yeah. All right, excellent. We'll do this again in five years, and maybe it'll be you know funnier at least. Or maybe it'll be talking to you uh, because you're employed by somebody else because everything imploded. You never know. 
It's possible. Although I'm not allowed <laughs> to make those jokes to my wife anymore because when we first started, uh, we were dating when I first started the firm, and I would often joke, as with my partner, about, oh, yeah, you know, we're starting this firm, but could be homeless, uh, could become millionaires. We don't know what's going to happen. Well, and so how, how are you doing? Everybody's nervous about giving numbers, so I won't try and make you give numbers, but um, in as much detail as you can, how are things with your business? Things are good. You know, we don't get too stressed uh, as much as we did in the beginning, but, you know, there's still always the concern. You know, if I, I do most of the court work and my partner is a smarter and better writer and better bookkeeper and better business person, so he handles all those things. So I'm in court a lot, and if we go you know, a few days or a week and I'm not in court. I just assume we're going out of business, but we haven't <laughs> yet. It's, it's going well. We hired our first um, associate, like, uh, I guess he just celebrated his second anniversary. We had, we had hired him about a year after starting, which mm-hmm. we got some flack about, I know, online because I did a post about it, um, which is something we can talk about. But he, he's been going for about two years now. That's going great. He likes it here. And we just hired our first in-office admin. Nice. Yeah, we had someone that was part-time way back in the beginning, but then, and that person was great, but then she had kids and wanted to not work, so we lost her. But now we have a in-office admin, which has been amazing. Um, she's amazing. So, yeah, things are going well. We, so let me, let me spring a question on you here. Uh, yeah. Are you saving for retirement? Uh, a little bit. Okay, um, that, that's one. Of, that's one of my like uh, my gauges of where people are in their starting a law firm journey. Is when you're when you actually start saving for retirement. I feel like that's when things are. You can. It's a pretty good indication that things are going pretty well. Well, we actually take a different approach. We don't have a four hundred one k or any of that kind of business. We have a side gig where we invest in real estate. Oh. So yeah, we also have a other company that we use. So that's kind of a way to. You know, keep our salaries a little bit lower, but hopefully invest in something that will be a long-term moneymaker. So when you say saving for retirement, you mean your other gig? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I mean, what the hope is at some point, like in the next two years, we can just retire, live off the real estate piece and play Diablo all the time. But we'll see. <laughs> Living the dream, baby. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Streaming it on Twitch. So uh, my brother just started a Twitch stream, and I so I've been watching him play video games, to, which is kind of weird. But <laughs> older brother or younger brother? Younger brother. Which it's this it's the turnabout, right? I he I used to make him watch me play video games. So. Exactly. I used to make my little brother watch me, and I told him that the second controller was him playing, even though it wasn't. Yeah, you just you just had it like set under the the console or something. Yeah. Well, yeah. this is back when they were plugged in, so you plug it in, but it'd be a one player game, so he didn't know. <laughs> So, all right. So let's go back to your columns and and kind of revisit because this was this was like you just launched your firm and started it at the same time. Uh, started your column at the same time, and I, I think I think you said your first uh, post, and I, I'm looking at it now. Your first post, the question, the big question was, do you need an office? Yes, it was, and that was something that we assumed. So my partner's name is Eric. Sometimes I refer to him as my partner. Sometimes Eric, just so we're on the same page. But he and I. Uh, how we got started, just a little background if they haven't, if people haven't read my post, which would be crazy to not read. Mm-hmm. Um, he and I clerked for the same judge who was a trial court judge in Washington County, PA, who later resigned amidst scandal. But that had nothing to do with us starting the firm. We had the plan before he caught those charges. Mm-hmm. 
So we had this plan, and the original plan was, oh, we're not going to need an office. You know, we're going to save so much money. You know, we're young and tech savvy, and we can just work without an office. And that lasted for like two weeks. Uh, <laughs> we we started out, and that was the plan. You know, we're not going to have an office. Do a virtual thing. Who needs an office anymore? And then I was working from home. The plan was, you know, the the courthouse didn't want us to leave at the same time. At that point. The judge had resigned. We were both working for the president judge, kind of helping administrate things. Um, it was very stressful. Mm-hmm. So they didn't want us to both leave at the same time. They wanted one person to leave and then the other, you know, train the new person and then the second person leave. So I had my leave date and Eric was going to stay another three weeks, maybe four weeks. The idea would be I would be out hitting the pavement, um, getting some things lined up, hopefully getting some clients, hopefully doing some work. So I was out week or two. The idea is I'm working from home. So I worked from home for about two weeks, and then I called him and I said, come on a lunch break. I'm seeing an office, and we're renting it today because I cannot get any work done. And have you kept an office since then? Kept the same office since then. Okay. So we're in the basement of a office building, which isn't as you know, ghetto as it seems. It's not like the IT crowd basement. It's a real office. We just don't have windows. <laughs> but... Um, we're down here. We have a conference room. You know, mine and his offices are connected to each other, so we can just yell at each other West Wing style. And then uh, it was it was perfect setup because there's room for expansion. When we hired our associate, there's another office through the conference room, so we got him an office. And now we use the conference room as a lunchroom slash meeting with clients, and it's been it's been great. I mean, I'm someone that can't, as I've learned, work full time from home. You know, I can do a day here or there, but there's just too many distractions and it's not as efficient. So we, uh, we scrapped that idea pretty quickly and it's been, we haven't even considered that idea again, even with the advent of more virtual office structures popping up. Gotcha. I, I know that one, I mean, one of your initial posts that was really contentious was you wrote a post about designing a logo and it, your first post got 65 comments, most of them about why the heck would we want to listen to somebody who's just starting their law firm? What do they know? And then you're designing a logo post got a ton of comments that were, why the heck are you wasting time designing a logo? Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, and the, well, the crazy thing was the first post you wrote and I just kind of did a blur. Oh, I think on. you're right. Yeah. And I remember thinking, that that was just, it was just ridiculous. It was like it was like Reddit. It was like a Reddit post was how ridiculous the comments were getting on there. Um, and then when I set up about designing the logo, you know, the whole idea with the column was here's almost like a day in the life. Here's what we're mm-hmm. thinking. Here's what we're doing. So I set up to design this logo, which we did by way of a tradesy for services with somebody else. Yep. And good, you know, it was like interesting little. Thing. It was a short post, and then the comments just blew up. And you know, the general—I think the theme of the comments throughout this column was really: you should only be worrying about being a good lawyer. Mm-hmm. That should be number one main concern. And I think people just assumed that because we're talking about these other things, that we're saying, "Oh, you don't need to worry about being a good lawyer as long as you have a good logo." And I don't know where that idea came from. I don't know why some people on the internet thought that was the case, but that was definitely the direction it went. And I remember at the time thinking like, oh my goodness, like look at all this stuff, look at these comments and <clears throat> you know, complaining to Eric about how 
crazy it was, and I was a little, not losing sleep over, but stressed about it. Uh, and then looking back on it, it's like, who cares? Yeah, I've 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 thought about putting a disclaimer on every article on Lawyerist that says, notwithstanding anything you may find in here, first you have to be a good lawyer. Right. Exactly. Be- because that- it it does drive me crazy that uh, there seem to be a contingent out there who thinks that nothing else is worth discussing, but other things are worth discussing. And just because we talk about whether or not a law firm should have a logo and how to bo- go about getting one, that doesn't mean that it's more important than being a good lawyer. It doesn't actually even reside in the same column of responsibilities in, when it comes to running a law firm, as far as I'm concerned. So, right, exactly. And it's the kind of thing, you know, being a good lawyer is the kind of thing that you know, it's so different for every lawyer. I mean, there are some things that are universal, but, you know, if you want to blog about how to be a good criminal defense lawyer, you write a blog about being a good criminal defense lawyer and what it means to handle a DUI case or whatever. But that's not what I think we were doing here. And I don't know how it got so misconstrued. So do you still have that logo? Yeah. I'm, I yep. guess I was, I was just pulling up your website right now, and yes, I see yeah. you do still have that logo. Still have it, although we don't have the same website because there was a whole post about... Right. I you designed it yourself at first, right? I, I designed it at, at my fir- myself at first and then had you guys do one, which was good, and then I was just too much of a control freak and wanted to redesign it and ended up doing that and... Uh, we get compliments on it all the time, not to toot my own horn. <laughs> yeah, it's a good-looking website. So now the question is going to be, you know, what's the new thing? When do I have to change it again? But it's, yeah, uh, did you pay for this design, or was it is it on Squarespace or something? Or no, no, it's a. I took a WordPress theme and customized it and tweaked oh, it good for you. And it's the kind of thing where you know, looking back, I could have saved. What the argument people have is, you could have saved so much time and built so much money while you're working on it but that's assuming that you have unlimited client work to do um, which you know wasn't the case so it doesn't bother me if i spend i mean i probably spent way too much time on this website just to because i don't really know what i'm doing that well Uh, and you know fixing a little thing would take me two hours but then once it's fixed and it's done you can say oh we did that ourselves it's really worth it i think so one of the i I know we devoted like two or three posts to your journey to choose practice management software. Mm-hmm. And I think you ultimately settled on my case. Are you still using that? We are, and my face is actually on their website. I thought so. I thought there was a quote from one of those posts that's on the website. Yeah, and they actually use an older picture of me when I had hair. which is <laughs> So it's a nice nostalgic sense anytime I go to log into practice. Gotcha. But they use that, and I get emails about that pretty regularly, at least a few times a year, about do we still use it? And we do, although we are strongly considering switching to Clio just because you know my case hasn't really been doing much in the way of innovation. They've been talking about getting Dropbox integration for uh, as long as I have been using it, so at least three years. Yeah, It's always six months away, and it never comes, and we use Dropbox for the firm, and it would just be nice to be able to sync everything up so i've been in some talks with the folks over at clio and you know it looks like we might switch but you know i still think i still think it's very close and people email me all the time saying you know how did you pick or what should i do and really the answer i always give them is whichever one you go with you have to really like because you are locked in yeah I mean, if we switch, it's going to be quite the task i mean it is easier to switch now than it used to be but it is still not simple right it's still not simple, and you have to do it almost. You almost have to do it on a 
quarterly basis. I mean, that's how we looked at it. Mm-hmm. End up the end the last quarter, collect the money that you can, and then transfer things over instead of having time entries floating around that are unbilled. But yeah, it's, I guess. It, and if you rely on it uh, for your accounting, you almost want to do it at the beginning of your fiscal year. Yeah, yeah. But we uh, we use QuickBooks. I mean, we use kind of a combination. I think we had a, an argument too about man about phone time and whether or not you should answer your phone, and that's something that comes up again and again on our site. And I, I think you've tried all of the options. <laughs> so how, we have. How yeah, do you we come have. up on it? So we started. We started the first like two months, three months maybe, until we could afford to hire Ruby. We answered our own phones, uh, which is brutal. I don't know how people do it. I mean, I, I don't know how people do it. It's unbearable to me mm-hmm. um, because especially as trial attorneys, criminal trial attorneys, I don't like that the civil bar has taken that term. And we're in court all the time. So you're constantly missing calls. And when you're not, if you have Ruby, they can just tell people that you're in court. They can give good feedback to people as far as I can tell them if Joe Smith calls, tell him this thing. It's great. So we, we answered our phones originally which was really annoying. Although the first few times people called, it was kind of like the Ghostbusters scene where we got our first client and that mm-hmm. was exciting. But after that, it got old. So we hired Ruby. But then the calls start to build up. We weren't getting back to people as quickly as we wanted. We know that's the number one bar complaint is people not returning phone calls. So we switched to a system that you had written about where we don't take any unscheduled calls. And that was great. Uh, it was very convenient. You know, I could kind of schedule the general hours because keep in mind we didn't have an admin at this right. time. So I would tell people, all right, I'm going to call you back between 4 and 8 p.m. either today or tomorrow. And those were the times I would return my calls. I would bang them all out in the evenings. I'm not in court. It was great. And then it got to a point where the volume was a lot and you know Ruby can't schedule for you. So the right. scheduling kind of became, it didn't go on my calendar. So I'd have to then cross-reference my Ruby messages with the calendar and it became too much of a hassle, so we moved back to just Ruby answering the calls, using their whereabouts feature to filter calls, and just returning them you know, as quick as we can, try to get back to them in a day. Sometimes it's a little longer than that. And then recently, we hired our admin, and we're still using Ruby because you know, they answer 8 to 8, they never get sick, they never miss a call, and you know, you're paying them all that money, so you might as well use them. Mm-hmm. But then what we have them do now is, for potential clients, we have them transfer the call to our in-office admin who then schedules those calls. And is that a he or she? She. And so so does she schedule the calls with you or does she sort of manage the intake process? She does a little bit of the intake, gets kind of a feel for it, and then schedules them for us. Got So she's sort of a, um, she can tell whether or not it's a likely potential client? Exactly. Gotcha. Exactly. Um, how, you know, bad does it sound the case is how urgent is it that kind of thing so how much time are you spending on the phone every day oh it's unbearable i mean it's a lot i mean if i'm not in court i'm on the phone you know 30 percent of the day wow it's a lot yeah so we uh we answer a lot of calls and take a lot of calls and we also don't do you know something we had talked about on the blog was taking client meetings versus phone consultations and we've transferred to pretty much just a phone consultation system. So that adds up to a lot of the time on the phone as well. I suppose. If, if you had to look back, like what was the most successful experiment that you tried or, or the most successful thing that you tried? Well, in the beginning, we hired someone part-time just to do scanning and shredding. 
mm-hmm. because we do you know scan everything, shred everything, except for super important things. Because I don't want a whole comment thread about you can't shred everything. We know. Uh, so we hired someone for very little money to come in two or three times a week, and that was fantastic. Uh, that was a great. Well, and especially because you're not even in the office a lot of the time because you've got to be in court for hearings. Oh, exactly. So we didn't have to get her a separate computer. She would just use my computer hmm. and scan everything, file it, shred it, and it was terrific. So that was probably the best. And then now our new admin, she's part-time, and she pretty much does the same stuff, scans and shreds, but also does all our correspondence and uh, moves. Disco- you know, does our discovery when we need to, does filings, and it's been... Terrific, and I would definitely have done it earlier. As soon as we could afford it, we should have hired someone. Gotcha. And so well, I was going to ask you about hiring, too, because um, I, I had some different experiences with hiring uh, than I think you probably have. But, I mean, how did you make that decision that it was time to hire somebody, and how did it go? Well, we actually hadn't made that decision. Um, we practiced in two counties, primarily, somewhat rural counties, but one significantly more rural, rural than the other, and two-judge county. Two judges, one law clerk. Mm-hmm. And the judge in that county knows us, likes us. We have a good reputation down there. And Kevin is our associate's name. He was the law clerk. And the judge had come up to both Eric and I separately, twice each, and said, oh, have you guys met Kevin? And we had met him multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he'd make a great attorney. He's... Uh, you know, smart and good on his feet, and he'd be a great attorney. So we met with him a couple of times, liked him, smart guy, and we figured, you know, look, we have all this work. And a judge was uh, telling you you'd better hire him. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, and, you know, he was he was interested, and he's a um, start, uh, self-starter, I guess is mm-hmm. the term I'm looking for, you know. He was someone that was maybe thinking about going out on his own, but didn't want to take all that risk, and we kind of we're able to offer him a good position. So it worked out like that, and it was a great decision. I mean, we're able to take work that we personally don't want to handle, but that he loves doing. So tell and me, what was his uh, compensation structure? Not not numbers, how much you pay him, but were you, was it an eat what you kill kind of thing, or was it um, did was he being paid a base salary? How did that work? It was a combo. Yeah, it was a combo of uh, percentage of what he brought in, and then we paid all overhead plus a salary. So he didn't have to worry about malpractice insurance or parking or Westlaw or um, health insurance. We gave him health insurance right away, which is a nice, you know, not everyone does that. Mm-hmm. And, and then whatever he brought in, he got a percentage of, essentially, and then gotcha. covered stuff for us. And he did bring things in. Yeah, he did. And what was nice is that he had such a good relationship with the judge. And at this point, we were doing a lot more court appointment work that we were getting a lot of court appointments. So oh, those were, and we gave him credit for all that because he's our connection down there. And yeah. And then we eventually phased him to just kind of a regular employee structure with, you know, liberal quarterly bonuses. Gotcha. What we would refer as to as liberal, but he's not on the podcast, so he doesn't get to <laughs> refute. <laughs> <laughs> well, as long as they seem good from your end. Exactly. Um, well, look, here's my, here's my big question is it, so, so I know you've skimmed all of your old posts. Um, is there a little bit of looking back and being like, oh, that was so cute that I thought that back then? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, well, in the posts, it was mostly the office. I mean, it was yeah. so for us, so not a good fit, at least for me. I mean, Eric, 
probably could have done it, but he's more disciplined than I am. I'm like the dog and up and it's like squirrel, Xbox, mm-hmm. internet. Um, and even in the office, you know, it's a much better setup. So that was definitely our number one thing that was in the posts. And then other things, you know, we used to do a lot of what's called dependency work. And dependency work is where the government takes people's kids. Gotcha. And it is good work to do. People need representation, but it is tough work. It sounds emotionally grueling. It's emotionally tough. And if, you know, I do very intense criminal cases as well, but they're not as emotionally taxing. And if we could have gotten out of those a little bit earlier than we did, uh, it probably would have been good for us because they take up so much time as well. Yeah. But that's, you know, it's very specific to us. But then our third big thing, and this is so silly, and Eric reminds me of it all the time, is that I thought, okay, we're opening this firm. We're, you know, I'm a gadget guy. I was like, we're going to need cell phones. And I was shopping around for cell phones and looking at plans and doing this and that. And three years now, we've never, <laughs> we each still have our own plan. Mm-hmm. We in no way need a business cell phone. It was so dumb. Uh, but it was like a thing. I like gadgets. So it was like, yeah, of course we need that when really we definitely don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and he still likes to give me a hard time about that. But, you know, there was totally no need for it. And those are really the three things I think looking back on it. Um, and then also to not do the in-person consultations. We've stopped doing that for the most part, uh, free in-person consultations. And, you know, it just eats up so much time and people no show regularly. Right. So phone consultations are absolutely the way to go. And then an in-person, if needed, I would have told younger Josh. Yeah, what uh, if you had to give your go back and give yourself advice, what would it be? I mean, have you already covered it? or? Yeah, that's pretty much it. I would yeah. say, um, you know, you don't need a cell phone. Stop being an idiot. You need an office. Uh, don't, don't be so silly to think that you don't. And don't take in-person meetings if you can avoid them. So, and let me, maybe my last question will be, uh, what are your favorite tools for practicing law? Uh, not necessarily tech tools, but, uh, and probably not your separate business cell phones that you don't have. Um, yeah, definitely not those. <laughs> Although but, one of mine is my cell phone. Yeah, well, I'm sure. Uh, but what are the apps and, and tools and favorite notepads, pens? What, what, are, what are the things you just can't live without? You know, I'm not a big pen guy like you are. I pretty much just use any pen I can get my hands on because I lose them constantly, and I don't know how people can keep a pen. Um, but we use Dropbox for all our files. It's great. I don't know how people keep paper files and schlep them around. Um, Ruby, I mean, it's a total lifesaver. It's super expensive, but I think worth it. I got a Pebble Time smartwatch recently, hmm. and that's been terrific, especially in court. Uh, you know, it doesn't, you don't hear the vibration in my jacket pocket or people sometimes now leave their cell phones on the table and they vibrate. Mm-hmm. But mine is just on the wrist and you have the preset responses. You can shoot off to whoever's texting you or calling you. It's amazing. Uh, plus it, you know, shows you emails. I mean, the whole bit, all the smartwatch things that are great. Plus it lasts for four days, which I'm loving. And we recently switched. We used to use Google Voice, which was great for what we needed when we first started in that it was free, which was awesome. But now we use Ring Central, mm-hmm. and that's been, that's been terrific. Um, we use it on the desktop. We use it on the phone. We use it as our fax, and it has just been well worth it, especially for someone that doesn't want a full phone system. Cool. Hmm. Anything else? No, I mean that's. I mean those are pretty much my main tools that I use. I don't really use notepads. I got um, these little tiny 
journals, travel journals that I use sometimes, but those are more What do you just use for, for taking notes then? Well, in court, I use my computer. I have a Mac. You just use uh, Word files or text files or something? Yeah, we uh, used to use an iPad in court, but taking notes on it, I found to be completely unbearable. Mm. So I got a MacBook Air, and now that's uh, I keep the whole Dropbox synced up to it. So I have everything I need and can type up all the notes, and then we just save. One thing I've learned from you and from the lawyers' community is we save everything as a PDF. There's no Word documents floating around. And then that's pretty much it. That's what I do for the notes. And then we use the cell phone to record hearings. Oh. And we use uh, Dictaphone, an old school, not old school, I guess, a digital so Panasonic. You can, you can record in court. Yeah, well, we have to, actually. Oh, interesting. This is it. Well, not in like big court. We have what are called magistrate hearings. Uh-huh. And in Pennsylvania, it's the defendant's responsibility to record those in case you need a transcript later. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's very silly. Um, and what do you use for backup? Dropbox. Oh, so you pay for the extra storage yeah. or whatever. Yeah. yeah, we pay for that. And then we also have a external hard drive in two different locations that backs up via time machine. So if Dropbox goes down and our office burns down on the same day at the same time or something else crazy happens, we have a backup somewhere else on oh, an cool. external hard drive. Excellent. Excellent system. Well, Josh, thanks so much for being with us today and looking back over what you did. And it's great to hear that you're still doing well. And um, I hope that continues. And at five years, we can throw a party. Yeah, that sounds good to me. And uh, we'll come out and visit and we'll have a good time. And you'll pay. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you to Lawyers with Purpose for sponsoring today's podcast. Lawyers with Purpose teaches estate planning and elder law attorneys across the country how to run a systematized, profitable, sustainable law firm that serves clients with excellence. And with the Lawyers with Purpose systems and processes, you will find that you not only serve clients efficiently and profitably, but you gain the freedom to have a true impact on their lives. To learn how to become part of a vital, supportive community of like-minded estate and elder law attorneys, go to lawyerswithpurpose.com. To make sure you catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast, subscribe to The Lawyerist Podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. You can listen to it at lawyerist.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe to The Lawyerist Insider, our weekly newsletter. Just go to lawyerist.com and look down the sidebar or click on newsletter up at the top. We'll remind you where to find the podcast whenever we release a new episode. Thanks for listening.